0: Welcome back to another edition of Buckeye Talk, your Cleveland.com Ohio State podcast. Thanks for joining us, Doug Maurice and Bill Landis, in the new Landis Podcast Studio. Can you hear it? Can you hear a deeper timber in my voice? This is like a real... It's a smaller room. When we... We're, we've been doing this for two years now. We're podcast trendsetters at cleveland.com and when we we're trying to get help on like how to make it sound better or what to do, we just talk into a computer. We've tried microphones that made it sound worse, but someone said, sit somewhere, sit in a small room and put a blanket on your head. And so this is the closest we've come to putting a blanket on our head. Bill and I are not under a blanket together, um, yeah. but we're closer to that. Okay. So we hope it sounds even better. Um, Doug Lennarice, Bill Landish. We're going to do a lot of things here to preview what's ahead because, like, we're here now, aren't we? Like, this is basically, I consider this the end of summer.
1: Camp starts in. We don't know when camp officially starts, but it starts within the next two weeks. Maybe in, like, yeah. Maybe in, like,
0: a week. Maybe, yeah, like eight days. But we definitely have Big Ten uh, media days next Monday and Tuesday in Chicago. Bill and I will be there. Breaking it all down. We have a big thing coming on Friday, which is our Big Ten preview poll. Uh, But we're also going to talk recruiting Jeremy Ruckert. You people have been tweeting us, and you want us to talk about Jeremy Ruckert, so we will. Friday Night Lights, the huge recruiting event, is Friday. So we'll get into all these things. Those are the main things. Ruckert, FNL, previewing Big Ten preview days. Previewing the preview, which maybe doesn't make sense, but we're going to do it anyways. (laughs) But let's dive in first. Because you want to talk about this 2018 class that continues to come together. And the latest one is the number one tight end in the country.
1: And I guess, Bill, in the end, not a surprise? No. He had been um, projected to go to Ohio State for probably about a year. And apparently, I was reading a story that um, 247 Sports wrote. I believe it was Steve Wiltfong and 247 Sports wrote the story that Jeremy Rucker committed to Ohio State about a month ago. It was actually on Urban Meyer and Shelly Meyer's wedding anniversary that he committed to them, and I was jealous because that was really interesting, and I didn't get the story. Um, but well, yeah, why did he hold? So, but he wanted to
0: hold for the Bleacher Report video. Yeah,
1: I think like kids do that. I mean, players silently commit all the time, and the Bleacher Report like does the commitment videos throughout the year. But I think July in the summer, in particular, is, is a big time um, for them to, to put out a bunch of videos at the same time. And they've done a couple. Of, I think Rucker might have been the first, but they've done. Uh, two or three since Rucker uh, committed on Monday. Um, so it wasn't a surprise to anybody. He uh, had Michigan, Notre Dame, and Wisconsin in his final four along with Ohio State, but it had not at been Ohio State all along. Um, and I think like, it's a really interesting commitment because people like to say, you know, Ohio State doesn't throw to the tight ends. How can they get a tight end that's as good as him? Um, and I wrote this the, the day he committed. Like, all that stuff doesn't matter. It's probably true. Like, they haven't thrown to the tight ends. A lot of the stuff they do doesn't make sense. Like, wh- how can they keep getting five-star cornerbacks when only two of them or three of them can play on the field at the same time? Why do they have an abundance of quarterbacks when um, only one of them can play? Like, conventional wisdom, I think, doesn't apply to the way Ohio State is recruiting right now. So, yeah, Ohio State hasn't thrown to the tight ends much much since Urban Meyer's been here. Maybe that'll change with Kevin Wilson, but ultimately it doesn't matter because really good players want to come play at Ohio State kind of regardless of how Ohio State's been using that position. And the thing you look at, and we know how much the NFL matters in this stuff, Jeff Heierman and Nick Vanette
0: were here together, were in the same recruiting class. Vinette redshirted, Hireman didn't. Uh, they both got national championship rings. They both were not used very much in the pass game at Ohio State. They both ended up being sort of blockers first. Hyreman was an excellent blocker, and all you have to do is look at the way Ezekiel Elliott ran and the way people talk. People talked about that team in 2014. Um, and guys like Evan Spencer at receiver and Jeff Hyreman at tight end, the way they blocked is what turned those 8-yard Ezekiel Elliott runs into 50-yard or 70-yard runs. Hyreman and Vanette, not, not used, didn't put up huge numbers, weren't All-Americans, both third-round draft picks, which for a tight end is... Really high. It's good, yeah. So if Jeremy Ruckert looks at that, do you want to go somewhere and have 50 catches but maybe not be in that position, be drafted that high? Because stats aren't the thing that, that they look at, that NFL scouts look at. Or do you want to go somewhere that's going to get you to the NFL? So the thing I think is interesting is um, uh, we all are. We all make fun of the throwing to the tight end thing. I know people are now officially talking about Kevin Wilson, and when he was at Oklahoma as the offensive coordinator, Jermaine Gresham had like 66 catches and was an All-American. And it looked like in the spring they were throwing to the tight end more. That's not going to happen here. There's not going to be a tight end with 66 catches. Okay? Not in this Urban Meyer offense. You know what the H-back is in the Urban Meyer offense? That slot receiver that they throw, he's a tight end. Yeah. He is the modern tight end. He's just little and fast to create a mismatch. He's not big and athletic, okay? That's what they're doing now. That was that's I remember Jim Tressel always said this cuz we we Jim Trestle had the same thing about not throwing to the tight end. He he said all people really mean when they say why don't you throw to the tight end is throwing over the middle. You have your two outside receivers running outside routes or running sideline routes or and then you have to do something over the middle. So who would you rather throw to? No offense to any of the tight ends that have been here at Ohio State. I'd rather throw to Curtis Samuel. Yeah. <laughs> so Jeremy Ruckert's not going to catch 60 passes here. But now Bill, now Bill is squinching up his nose because he hasn't been here
1: as No, long. I, I
0: know. It's not. Let's make a bet right now. Jeremy
1: Ruckert will not catch more than 30 passes in any single season in his Ohio State career. I think 30 is a lot, though, in this offense. When they don't, I mean, Michael Thomas was catching 50 balls a year. I think if a guy catches 30, that's not bad.
0: Okay, but that's a long way from Jermaine Gresham, too.
1: Correct. I will say this, and I think it's dangerous to, to form opinions off, you know, high school highlight tapes because they only show you the good stuff. And I, I talked to Jeremy Ruckert's high school coach, I Ruckert's a little different, I think. I, I don't he's he's six foot six, he's two hundred and forty pounds, and he runs I think like in the low four sixes. Maybe even a little faster than that. Like he's not a traditional tight end. And they don't really even really use him that much as a tight end in his on his high school team. Now it's because he's a giant and no one in the Long Island uh New York high school football league that he plays in can cover him. But he's split out wide, he's in the slot, they like throw him slip screens. He's really fast and athletic. I, he's not like. Hireman was a great blocker, and I think Vanette became a pretty good blocker. And and Marcus Ball, I think, left people wanting some more in the passing game, but ended up being a pretty good blocker last year too. I don't think that's Ruckert's future. I, maybe he'll get a little bigger. He's two hundred and forty pounds right now. He is a real pass catching threat. Um, and I, I he I, he fits the mold to me almost like what. The Patriots do when like they have their two tight ends, and one of them is not really a tight end. One of them is kind of just like a slot receiver, like you mentioned. And we're used to seeing these five foot eleven, hundred and eighty pound, really fast guys playing the slot at Ohio State. <clears throat> I think there's a future where a six foot six, two hundred and forty pound guy is playing in the slot at Ohio State, and not necessarily being an in line tight end that we've become used to. And Rucker, I think, would fit that really well.
0: I guess that there is room for them to. Ma- ma- Model their offense off for the guys they have. And Aaron Hernandez, one of those Patriots tight ends that you were talking about back in the day, played for Urban Meyer at Florida. Urban Meyer knows how to use a tight end. But they don't here. So here's the, but here's the thing. So if he if he's not – and didn't your coach say – didn't the coach tell you about Ruckert that he does have to get better as a blocker?
1: Yeah, they just they don't use him. He's their best receiver, so they don't use him much as a blocker.
0: If you can't block, you can't be an Ohio State tight end. Yeah. So – if that's an issue for him, then maybe he's a receiver. But yeah. I don't think if you who are you going to throw to, Jeremy Ruckert or DeMario McCall or Jalen Gill?
1: I think I'm going to throw to Ru- I mean I, I don't know. I mean it's just drinking the Kool-Aid too much. Uh,
0: Ruckert, you're, you're flying high. Listen, he's
1: really good, man. Watch doing- go and watch go and watch Jeremy Ruckert. Some of the stuff he was doing at the opening, and it's 7-on-7. Seven seven. It's not real football, but I think it is a good barometer of athleticism and elusiveness. He was running by people. He's 6'6", 240, and was running by the best defensive backs in the country at the opening. I thought that was really impressive. I don't think tight ends do that very often.
0: Jake Houseman and Luke Farrell were each in the top 10 in the country in tight ends last year. Mm-hmm. We thought they had some need at tight end. We thought they might come in and do something. Jake Houseman told us at Cleveland.com that they told him in recruiting, we need you. There's we need people right now. We thought he'd come in and play both redshirted.
1: Yeah, they're also not as good as record.
0: So are you are you saying that Jake Housman, I think, was the number four tight end in the class of 2016? Jeremy Ruckert's the number one tight end in the class of twenty eighteen that's only a difference of three spots in the recruiting class are you saying though that you believe that there is a big difference between what those two guys were in high school
1: yeah I think more so than where they were ranked positionally you should look at their overall player rating in 247 and I think houseman was
0: 127
1: uh, no 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 like they, the number like they give them on the scale of one to 100 oh, like you're oh, they, oh. Like you're a 91 or whatever and I okay. think Houseman was like a 94 and Farrell might have been like a 91 or a 92 and Rutger's almost a 98 He's a borderline five star prospect. Um, 247 has him as a five star prospect, and I think like a top 20 national player. And I think Scout might have him as a five star too. And I, I believe it's only a matter of time before ESPN and rivals do the same. And um, when he signs with Ohio State in December or February, whenever that is, he's going to be a five star prospect. He's Houseman and Farrell are good. Um, I think they're different, and I think Rucker is much better.
0: All right. Are you calling are you calling now <clears> throat> playing throat> as a true freshman? That will start there. Will he play as a true freshman next season in 2018?
1: I believe he will. Yeah. I think Kevin Wilson is infatuated with this guy. And if Kevin Wilson, I expect that he'll be around for at least two years as the offensive coordinator, he's going to want to use Jeremy Rucker in in the twenty eighteen season.
0: I don't know. It's weird. And we get trapped in this. It's hard not to get trapped, but it's like we were infatuated with Austin Mack as a freshman and what he was going to bring to the table at receiver and how he was different than other guys, and he had two catches for 15 yards last year.
1: Right. No, I, I, I'm, I mean, I'm probably going to be wrong, and I realize that like, this is a stupid game to play with Ohio State because freshmen never play. Um, I don't know. I was just really impressed by him. I don't know what it was, and I just think I've never – I haven't seen very many tight ends that look like Jeremy Rucker. So I'll say that,
0: that the one guy – Um, The guy who's the best tight end in the Big Ten this year, Mike Gusecki from Penn State. Mm -hmm. Um, My daughter and I went to the Big Ten Championship game last year just for fun because she likes football. And I was off that weekend since Ohio State (laughs) wasn't playing. Uh, So we went over there and just sat in the stands and watched. And um, you could also see this on TV. I believe the game was televised. It was. I don't mean to sound like I was part of an exclusive (laughs) club that saw this play happen. But Gusecki caught a touchdown pass, I think, right at the end of the first half when Penn State was getting blown out by Wisconsin. That sort of helped give him a little bit of life, and it was a bomb. Mm -hmm. It's like a 50-yard touchdown pass that he, like, beat the corner, like ran down the field and, like, out-jumped the corner at the goal line for I don't think I'm making that up. Do you remember that play? I do remember that play, yeah. I haven't seen an Ohio State tight end who could have done that. No, I agree. And, like, they never tried. They would never throw that pass to Jeff Hierman or Nick Vanette or Marcus Baugh. Um, Jake Ballard, who we saw in McDonald's the other day, Had that amazing catch in the Rose Bowl from Terrell Pryor against Oregon, which is one of the best catches you'll ever see. You guys have seen it. You can go find it on YouTube. They've had athletic tight ends, but they don't throw – they wouldn't throw a deep ball like that. So if you're telling me – and Gesecki's a guy who was down to Penn State and Ohio State. Mm -hmm. And if he was here – so we – you know, you you get caught up in what a team does offensively, what Urban Meyer likes to do, how the pieces fit. I think if Mike Gusecki was here, they'd use him. Yeah. So – if Jeremy Ruckert is going to run a fly pattern and catch a touchdown pass fifty yards down the field, out jumping a corner, okay. Well,
1: that, well, that's what I'm, I mean. That's what I'm saying. Like I just I think he he's he's like half receiver, half tight end. He's more of a receiver than any tight ends they have, and I think really than any of the tight ends they've recruited. Um, so that's why I'm so high on him because I'm envisioning being you. Like, he reminds me of of. Gusecki, and he reminds me of another former Penn State tight end, Adam Brenneman. I don't know if you remember him from a few years ago, who yes. was also considering Ohio State. He's, He's at
0: UMass
1: State. now. He's a, well, Yeah, his knees blew up, and he went to UMass and, and played last year. Um, Rucker reminds me of those guys who were just big, labeled as tight ends, but are kind of more receivers than they are traditional blocking tight ends.
0: And again, I'm just going to... Ohio State has run a bunch of guys like that through here. If you want to like play the athleticism game with tight ends from Ohio State's past, they've had some unbelievably gifted athletic tight ends who they haven't used. So
1: anyway, I know. I mean, we'll see what the deal is. Play this is. back next year when I'm completely but wrong.
0: It's a big, it's a big get though. It's a big get, and I think this is yeah. one of those where um, it's interesting. They they the tight ends. They got Farrell and Hausman in the class of sixteen, and Kier Hawkins is also in that class. Mm-hmm three tight ends in one class and they all redshirted last year. So they have three redshirt freshman tight ends on this roster now. They didn't take a tight end in the 2017 class and now they're adding Rucker in 18. So there's two years apart between Houseman and Farrell and Hawkins and Rucker um so we were doing our we're doing our top 50 Buckeyes countdown and we had Houseman at number 39 and Farrell at number 38 and part of the idea I I wrote both of them and Ruckert committed in between, mm-hmm. and so by the time I was writing Farrell, it was like, well, this is everything that applies to Jake Houseman, applies to Luke Farrell, which is there's an opportunity there, because Marcus Baugh's the number one, AJ Alexander was number two last year, he's out for the year with a knee injury, these guys are battling to be the number two tight end, they do use two tight ends sometimes, if you earn that spot, you will get playing time, but oh, by the way, now, you better show what you got, because Ruckert's coming.
1: Yeah. And they might, I think in the end, they're only going to sign one tight end, but I also think they're going to sign Blue Smith from Dayton, who like two years from now I think will also be a tight end. So there are two really uh, good athletes at that position, I think, coming to Ohio State in 2018.
0: All right, so we'll continue the recruiting talk a little bit, then we'll get to our Big Ten preview, talking about what we expect to see in Chicago, the questions we want to have answered, um, how the rest of the conference is looking at Ohio State. Um, But first... Friday Night Lights
1: is Friday. It's often after Big Ten Media Days. No, it's always before, isn't it? There was one year. Oh yeah, they moved it. Yeah, it was it was a year early one time.
0: Where we like came back from Big Ten Media Days like on Friday, and it was Friday night.
1: Yeah, they because cha- well, Big Ten Big Ten Media Days now are on Monday, Tuesday, and that wasn't always the case. It was oh, like it was sometimes in the middle of the week, but yeah. But
0: it's also sort like- of like the unofficial start to. Big Ten Media Days and Friday Night Lights are the unofficial kickoff to me of Ohio State football season. So one is about the now, one is about the later. Um, And I think a lot of people are more interested in the later than the now. (laughs) Because people love recruiting. And I'll always remember Friday Night Lights was the night when I saw Superman. Oh, yeah. Eric Glover Williams, however many years ago that was now, that was the night he wore a Superman (laughs) T-shirt. To Friday Night Lights, everybody else was wearing, like, the shirt that Ohio State gives you when you show up. And then they, like, put a number on you. Yeah. And uh, Eric Glover Williams wore a Superman t-shirt. And it was like, wow, that guy. If you're going to wear a Superman t-shirt at Friday Night Lights, you've got to be special. And that's when I fell in love. And now he's he's probably not really going to play or anything. But anyway, we're looking for Superman on Friday night. Um how many, let's reset, how many do they have for 18 already that are in now? Rucker was what, 14? 15. They have 15 in. You say they'll get the 25, so there's 10 spots left. Um, but
1: there's going to be a bunch of 19 kids there too, right? Is yeah.
0: That even, is this more for them?
1: Friday Night Lights has, has, at least over the last maybe two or three years, has seemed to be much more about the next class than the current class are trying to fill out. And I think like last year, Last year's Friday Night Lights, they got one 2018 commitment from Chase Young, and then they got their first 2019 commitment from running back Brian Sneed. At,
0: no, tw- Chase uh, Young or, sorry, was 17.
1: Sorry, sorry, sorry. Chase Young was 17. So he's a freshman now. He's a freshman now. And then they got their first 2018 commitment, and Brian Sneed with the day of Friday Night Lights, and then I think maybe four or five days later, Emory Jones committed to become the second commit in 2018. And there will be committed guys, I think about probably. Half, maybe a little more of the current committed recruiting class will be there. And there will be a couple of important 2018 visitors who will be working out. But uh, it's it seems to be much more about 2019 and and getting a jump start on that class while trying to finish out this 18 class. How
0: many 19 kids do they have at the moment? Committed? None.
1: They have none? Zero. What's
0: going on? Are they even trying?
1: Come on, Urban. That's how it worked out last year. They had none at this time last year. And then uh, within a week of Friday Night Lights, they had two. No excuses. Um, is Micah Parsons coming to Friday Night Lights? I have not, um, independently confirmed that. I have seen some other people say, um, that it is pretty likely that he ends up at Ohio State, uh, this weekend. He was also just at Alabama. He did not go to Penn State, which was interesting. Penn State had, it's called Lash Bash. It's their version of Friday Night Lights. And Micah Parsons is a five-star prospect from Harrisburg, uh, defensive end who was once committed to Penn State. I believe he's the number five player in the country right now. He didn't go, which I thought was interesting. And I, it's always weird to like read too much into like when players go. Like Micah Parsons has been at Penn State plenty of times. I don't think missing this camp was was something you could read into too much, but it was a little interesting. And he has since gone to Alabama, and it sounds like he will be in Columbus on Friday.
0: But this is a great battle because Penn State is putting together a great 2018 recruiting class. Yeah, they just got. A kid, and I don't know who it is. They just got a kid from Harrisburg, and that kid, I think he might have committed at
1: this thing you were talking uh, about. I think it was like Shaquan Anderson Butts, I believe is his and name.
0: And he is. started, he already has tweeted, like, I'm going to get Parsons.
1: Yeah, he, I think there was there was an expectation that there would be a, a package deal at some point. Um, and he just, Penn State has gotten six commitments, like, in the last four days off that Lash Bash event. Um and he was one of them, yeah. And he, he like immediately like he announced his commitment. And then he tweeted at Micah Parsons.
0: So so you have a kid in Micah Parsons, who's a top ten player from Penn State's backyard, and was committed to Penn State, then decommitted. But this is going to be like I love stuff like this, right? This is the yeah. best part of recruiting, um, and I think it's very similar to Noah Spence. That, that I mean, this is Noah Spence was also from Harrisburg, was a defensive end, was a huge prospect, and. If not for all the unfortunate off-field kind of crazy stuff that was going around Penn State, um, I think he may have gone to Penn State. Instead, Urban Meyer swooped in and was able to get get him to come to Ohio State. But um, obviously, Ohio State is even better than it was when, when Urban Meyer got Noah Spence to come here. But Penn State is in a much different situation than it was then, is doing a much better job in recruiting James Franklin, I mean, really, it's amazing. Going into the Ohio State game last year, it felt like the idea of James Franklin getting fired was out there. I almost, it's like I was going to write a thing about how, like, if James Franklin doesn't doesn't win a big game, he's probably going to get fired. And then he beat Ohio State. They had a great run in the second half of the year. They won the Big Ten East. They won the Big Ten Championship. They're recruiting like crazy, and now you look and it seems like, I don't know, James Franklin might be the coach at Penn State for the next 15 years.
1: Yeah, they're recruiting. They have the number three class in the country, and I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I don't believe that they've won a a significant head-to-head recruiting battle against Ohio State. They just got a commitment from Ishim Young, who's a safety from Philadelphia, who had Ohio State among his finalists, but he also never visited Ohio State. Um, So I wouldn't count that as a win. Uh, a head-to-head win against Ohio State for Penn State. Parsons is interesting, and uh, there's another defensive end, Jason Owe from New Jersey, um, from Blair Ac- Blair Academy in New Jersey, who was at Lash Bash, has a Penn State offer, has an Ohio State offer, I think is very high on both programs, and I think came away from what I was reading online feeling Penn State a little bit after, after this past weekend. I don't know if he's coming to Friday Night Lights. I think he probably will end up being there. And then I think a decision probably comes shortly after. So that is like, that's a real James Franklin versus Urban Meyer recruiting battle that I think Franklin has a pretty good shot at winning.
0: So it's interesting. I mean, it's, you know, you, you've got to take Penn state into account that the things, what they have rolling right now with sort of the way they play offense, um, they have the best player in the big 10 this year and Saquon Barkley. And mm-hmm. we'll get to that in our big 10 preview, but they're recruiting at a high level and, and, it's, it's almost unfair. It's like, you don't, it's not just like, are they beat, are they better than Ohio State in recruiting? That's not really the point because Ohio State's better than everyone in recruiting except Alabama. So if you're a Big Ten team, it's not, I don't think the evaluation is, are we recruiting better than Ohio State? It's, are we recruiting close to Ohio State? Mm-hmm. Are we in the ballpark? Um, are we, Getting the kind of kids who are talented enough that in three years, when we're on the field, our athleticism can at least be, again, in the ballpark of Ohio State's athleticism. So um, it's great for James Franklin if he can win a head-to-head battle against Urban Meyer. But Penn State's in range. And then you got to get your system rolling, coach them up. And hope that you play really well on that Saturday. Because so much of the Big Ten isn't even in range. And, like, we're doing these breakdowns now. We're building up to Ohio State what percent chance we think they have to have an undefeated season. And we just did um, Nebraska and Iowa were two that I thought were interesting. I think I did Nebraska and you did Iowa. I did Iowa, yeah. Um, And we gave them decent chance, you know, like, I think – Less than 20% chance, better than 10% chance for those teams to win those games.
1: It was, uh, it was 11% for Nebraska
0: and 14% for Iowa. And I, I know it was pointed out to us by one reader that Ohio State's played some really close games against Iowa. The last few times they've played and they haven't played Iowa for a while. But it feels like to me Nebraska and Iowa are both the kinds of programs where they might play a close game. Especially, especially if it's at their place. Yeah. Both those games are on the road for Ohio State but in the end in crunch time do they just are they talented enough to pull it out to really cuz we're not doing is ohio state going to cover against nebraska and iowa right. we're doing are they going to win and if iowa plays ohio state really tough and ohio state wins 31-28 people might say oh wow see i told you i knew it was going to be close that's not what we're doing we're not doing is it going to be close we're doing is ohio state going to win and i feel like against teams like nebraska and iowa they just, they're going to win those games because if it's close, Ohio State wins. And so Penn State, Ohio State played a bunch of close games last year, and mm-hmm. the only team that got them was Penn State. Mm-hmm. And some of that is because they have some dudes. And they're, they also got had some good breaks at the end with the, with the kick block and that kind of thing. But Penn State, I just think, is, is building up the dude factor higher than anybody else
1: to give yourself a
0: chance. And there's not, many team, there's not many teams that even give themselves a chance against Ohio State. Right. I
1: think you saw some of that against Wisconsin last year, too. Like, Wisconsin played Ohio State really tough and then lost in overtime because, in the end, Ohio State just had better athletes. Like, they were burning them with a jet sweep to – what was that receiver's name? Remember that receiver's name from Wisconsin? He had a funny name.
0: Oh, yeah. I know. Yes. Continue. I know, I know what you're right. talking about.
1: He was running those jet sweeps, and he got, like, six of them for 70 yards. And then they're like, okay, we're just going to have Malik Hooker run up and hit you in the backfield. And then they stopped running it. Um... And that's what happens. Like eventually, the athletic, the superior athleticism, almost always wins out um, for Ohio State. But yeah, and that's it's the the words that come out like two or three times a year when we're talking about Ohio State's opponents, and it's like equal talent or when talent is equated, what happens? And like Clemson had it, Oklahoma had it, and Ohio State beat them. And I don't. I would argue that Penn State, and I think we we talked about this last year at the time. I, Overall, Penn State, I think, did not have equal talent to Ohio State. Um, it had some really dynamic players, obviously Barkley and Jaceki and Trace McSorley was playing really well. But a couple of the receivers, a couple of receivers good. were good. I think, but like now it's that they beat Ohio State without really equal talent, and now they're building up similar talent, still not quite equal. Um, yeah, I think they're they're positioning themselves to be maybe the, the stiffest challenger to Ohio State, either them or, or Michigan. But I think Penn State Penn State at the moment is recruiting better than Michigan, at least in this class.
0: And it's weird. I mean, like, uh, you know, we've all written and talked ad nauseum about Jim Harbaugh and what he's going to do for Michigan. Who, who's the second best team in the East this year? Penn State. It's Penn State. Who beat Ohio State last year? I mean, somebody it's tells Penn you that State. it's
1: Ohio State and Penn State's the best.
0: I mean, it's it's interesting that James Franklin and Penn State, um, the rise of Harbaugh there, I mean, that hasn't affected them. And this is a thing that we talk about a lot is sort of like uh, where you recruit and who you recruit and that depending if, if you're in different areas and focusing on different things, then it's possible for teams to be good at the same time. If you're all going after the same group of players and the same batch of talent, then one team's going to get a guy and the other teams are going to miss out. But if Ohio State is obviously recruiting very nationally, getting some big-time guys nationally. Michigan is also has some national stuff, right, mm-hmm. sort of in different areas than where Ohio State has national stuff. Yeah. And that leaves a lot of room for a team like Penn State to get good Pennsylvania kids without Ohio State and Michigan necessarily being pounding on their doors to fight them for those Pennsylvania kids. It leaves some room for Jersey kids. We know Michigan's big in Jersey. We know Ohio State's been in Jersey but Penn State can go there. Mm-hmm. Penn State can go to Maryland, D.C., Virginia, try to get some kids. I don't know where all their 2018 kids are coming from, but it makes sense to me that Penn State, there's a lot of talent in Pennsylvania. I almost said that, like, if you ever watched Chris Matthews on MSNBC? Yeah. I think he's from Philly. He says Pennsylvania. Yeah. People from Pennsylvania don't say the L in Pennsylvania.
1: I do. Do you? You don't say Pennsylvania? No. I just said Pennsylvania there. I'm That's also good. from Philadelphia, which basically isn't in Pennsylvania. So
0: I am from Pennsylvania, so I just said, Penn State's doing a good job recruiting Pennsylvania. That's how the people talk
1: where i am come from. You uh, know where Penn State is recruiting? Where's that? Georgia. Really? Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> It is our thing now, right? Like, if we made a T-shirt for the Buckeye Talk podcast, it would be Georgia can't recruit in-state. Yeah, football.
1: I don't think we we got on them on our last one, so really? this is just your uh, weekly reminder. It's like chicken
0: nuggets and Georgia, Georgia recruiting.
1: Six. Really? Yeah. They're going to Georgia? Yeah, you know they had a commi- commitment commitment oh, yeah, guy. To Justin that Fields guy. that who. Um, you'll find some people who will tell you that Justin Fields is the best quarterback in the country. Um, Trevor Lawrence, who's committed to Clemson, is ranked number one pro style, and Justin Fields is number one. Dual threat, which is interesting because he's from the same state as Emory Jones, and he is, I mean, everyone thinks, I think, that Justin Fields is a little better than Emory Jones. But he decommitted from Penn State. It was a huge loss for them. Like, Penn State has the number three class in the country, and if Justin Fields was still in the class, they'd probably have the number two class right behind Ohio State. And if
0: they still had Fields and Parsons,
1: which they did at one point, right. they might have number one. Yeah, because that, that would be, I think they have two five-stars committed at the moment, and that would have been four. So
0: But are they out on Fields, or could they get him back?
1: Uh, I think they're out. I think the consensus is that Fields is going to go somewhere closer to Georgia. Um, I don't know where. I'm not a, an expert in his recruitment, but uh, everything. You're that not an out.
0: expert at Georgia recruiting, just like the Georgia coaches.
1: Correct. <laughs> I might be more of an expert than the Georgia coaches, though. But no, I think I. I actually think it's possible that Justin Fields ends up going to Georgia, which would be huge for Kirby Smart.
0: We're going to have Kirby Smart on the podcast when they get Justin Fields and just like yeah. kiss his butt and talk about what a great job he's doing and not let him know that. Uh, We rip them. But to be fair, we don't rip Kirby Smart. We previously were ripping Mark Richt.
1: Yeah. Just insert Georgia coach here and that's who we're ripping. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, So that was really – I mean, I guess it's – this is now here, Well, We like to come up with recruiting ideas on the fly. Mm -hmm. What is the history of kids decommitting from a school and winding up at that school? Because a lot of times kids, when they decommit, will say – I'm like reopening my commitment thanks to all the coaches at School X that I'm no longer committed to. I just made a hasty decision and I want to think about it more. And it's not necessarily – they don't phrase it as I hate you now. But how often do they come back around, think about it for another three or four or six months and then say, you know what? I did get it right the first time. I'm back with the school that I was originally committed to. I'm sure it's happened before. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but it doesn't happen much.
1: I don't, yeah, I, people, if I can be permitted a quick uh, basketball tangent. Um, people are asking that about Dane Goodwin when he decommitted from Ohio State and then said he'd still be considering Ohio State. And people are asking me, do you think Goodwin ends up back in the class? And I said, no, because kids typically don't decommit and then recommit to the program they had decommitted from. It's a little different with Goodwin because they, Ohio State had just made a coaching change, but it's like, Dane Goodwin commits from Ohio State, and then 30 seconds later, it's like, oh, Villanova and Notre Dame are interested in Dane Goodwin. It's like, okay, well, Dane Goodwin's not coming back then, and then he ended up going to Notre Dame. So it would be interesting to look it up. It would take forever to look up that information, but yeah, that's something that I think we might be able to tackle, because that would be some interesting math to find out the percentage of kids who decommit and then recommit to the program they decommitted from.
0: And then I'm almost just curious about, um, I wonder what percentage of kids, what percent of the top 300, let's say, decommit? Decommit from somewhere. Yeah. End up not at the school they originally pledged to. And which schools are good – we're writing this down. Which schools are good at getting kids who decommitted and which schools are the schools that lose a lot of kids who were once committed to them and then don't come? Because Ohio State does some of both. Ohio State has decommitments. But sometimes, and, and this, that's the problem, there's two kinds of decommitments. There's the kind of decommitment where the kid that the school wants changes his mind and realizes, I maybe can go somewhere better. Mm-hmm. And then there's the kind of decommitment where the school ignores you and makes it very clear that they don't want you anymore because they figured out they could recruit someone they think is better than you. And you had committed to them early and they sort of are like, well, you're the number 17 kid in the country at your position, but now... The number nine kid in the country at your position, the number three kid in the country at your position are really interested in us, so we're going to ignore you until you get the hint and leave. And then that goes down as a decommitment to the school, and you'd be like, oh, wow, the school has a lot of decommitments. and basically it's them forcing
1: kids out. So, um, yeah, it's uh, – I State's say it's pretty good at – I mean, that's not telling any – Urban Meyer is like a the, the master flipper of commits. Even if it's not instantaneous, like a kid will decommit from wherever, and then a month later he's committed to Ohio State. But there's only one kid like that in the class right now. Max Ray, offensive tackle from Tennessee, was once committed to Georgia. Really? Yeah.
0: God, could you? someone let Kirby Smart up for a second? <laughs> Give him a break. My God, Urban. <laughs> so greedy. Um, okay, let's. we're going to get into our Big Ten preview. Um, but first, let's hear a message, Bill. About One of our favorite charities One that we would never decommit
1: from The Cleveland Food Bank Okay guys, quick second here to talk about The Greater Cleveland Food Bank Uh, We know it can be hard to know which charities deserve your money these days And which charities you can trust to use that money in the right way We're telling you You can trust the Greater Cleveland Food Bank The ratings website Charity Navigator Gave the food bank four stars That's the highest possible score it can get For its transparency and use of your money That's one of the reasons why Cleveland.com is a partner of the Greater Cleveland Food Bank. Last year, the food bank provided 50 million meals, 50 million meals, to hungry people in Cuyahoga, Ashtabula, Geauga, Lake, Ashland, and Richland counties. To learn more about giving food, money, or your time, please visit greaterclevelandfoodbank.org.
0: Okay, so we're getting ready to go to Chicago. We're going to get in the rental car on Sunday. Do you guys want to hear how we do it? We get in the rental car, we drive. We stay outside Chicago on Sunday night because the hotels are cheaper. Then we drive in Monday morning. We do the stuff Monday. We stay in Chicago Monday night. We do the stuff Tuesday. We leave Tuesday, drive as far as we can on the way home, maybe getting all the way. But if not, we'll stop in like Indianapolis and come home Wednesday in yeah. case you guys wanted to know how we do it. Um, so Ohio State, they split it up now. Seven teams on Monday, seven teams on Tuesday. Ohio State is on Monday, I believe. Yeah. And it's funny – they don't, it, it's a sign of that the Big Ten is kind of screwed up at the moment. We made fun of legends and leaders um, when they had that because it was, a, they were two stupid names. But that they, that they divided the conference not geographically actually was a good idea. And I think they're in having some trouble at the moment because the power is in the Big Ten East and the Big Ten West. I don't know what is ever going to change for the Big Ten West to have a chance to match the tradition and recruiting power of Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State. Um, And there's just more players in the East. There are just more players. If you look at the way the league is split up, there are more talented recruits in Ohio and Pennsylvania and New Jersey and the Maryland, D.C., Virginia area. And those are all East team areas as opposed to... Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, and Nebraska. It's just, I mean, it's just a fact. So dividing up the conference that way, I don't think makes sense long-term, unless you're happy for it to be that Wisconsin, not, that Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State, and then you throw in Michigan State. They're going to play each other every year. They're going to be the best teams, and then they're going to play the wild card from the West and see what happens. But... That's how, that's how we'd rather support it. We know it's there's an, an imbalance there, but yeah. we're okay with it. But I don't – and I asked about this, I think, last year. I asked Jim Delaney at Big Ten Media Days about realignment. Are you ever going to – and everyone talks about cyclical – I can't remember what he said. I think they should change it. Do you think they should change it? Do you think it will ever be changed? Or, or do you think that there will be a day when the
1: West, on a consistent basis, is as good as the East? I mean, not as, no, I don't think so. I think there's probably a ceiling on how good some of these teams in the West can be. And frankly, like, I think Wisconsin's probably there. Um, Nebraska, Nebraska's not quite, I mean, it's not what it used to be. I don't know how their national scope is not as wide as it once was. So I think that Nebraska is handicapped a little bit by how good it can be. PJ Fleck at Minnesota is interesting, but there's certainly a ceiling there to how good, like, the, the ceiling for the teams in the West is just so much lower than the teams in the East based mostly off of that geographic recruiting area that you laid out, that no, I mean, unless in a world where, like, I mean, Urban Meyer's not at Ohio State, James Franklin's not at Penn State, and Jim Harbaugh's not at Michigan, maybe the gap can close a little bit, but those programs are always going to recruit better than any of the programs in the West. So you might have an off year every now and then when a West team sneaks in and wins the Big Ten, because that's just going to happen sometimes, but the strength of the Big Ten is going to be situated in the East until they change something.
0: I just don't think when when they did, uh, when they expanded – um to 12 and added nebraska and originally went to divisions and then did it non-geographically they did it by historical context and they tried to look back and say um here are the teams that have been the best teams historically and we're going to try and split them up so they put penn state and ohio state on one side and they had michigan and nebraska on the other side uh, because those at that time were the four best teams historically um but Nebraska what Nebraska was historically is not what Nebraska is or ever will be again. You can't you can't evaluate Nebraska on the fact that Tom Osborne built an unbelievable dynasty there in the 90s. Right. Recruiting kids from Texas and stuff. Like that's not Nebraska's not going to get that same caliber of player again on a consistent basis. So I don't know, but you know, god I I hate – I'm so – I just did it. I just had four minutes on it. So my fault. I hate realignment talk. I hate – I am so tired of, like, the conference reconfiguration talk and what team – when that was so hot and heavy yeah. and what teams – oh, maybe Kansas could join the Big Ten or Oklahoma. Oklahoma won't go without Oklahoma State. Will they get Texas? The Texas Board of Regents are fighting over if you take Texas, you have to take Texas A&M. Or, God, it's just – I hate it. And so – I don't want to talk about it anymore. And I apologize for doing it for five minutes. But I do think in the context of what the Big Ten has, they could uh, arrange it a little better. But at the moment, so my point was, originally, was that they split up Michigan and Ohio State on the two days now. The way they have the teams split, they have two days of talking. They used to do it all in one day. Uh, but now there's seven teams on one day and seven teams on the other. They split up Ohio State and Michigan because they know those are the two teams that everybody wants to talk about. And it's like, I hey, will throw the West in somewhere, too.
1: Yeah, I must wish they wouldn't do if I If I can be a complaining media member for one second, um, it would be nice if Michigan and Ohio State were on the same day because then there wouldn't be 10,000 people around Urban Meyer. There'd be like 8,000 and 2,000 around Joe Harbaugh.
0: Yeah, because it's, it's interesting. And, again, we're going to have um, – Our cleveland.com preseason poll will come out on Friday at cleveland.com. This is the seventh year of it. The Big Ten, seven years ago, stopped doing its own preseason poll because they are a bunch of wusses who don't want to hurt each other's feelings. Every other conference in America does a preseason poll that's organized by the conference. And when people send in their credentials to attend the conference, they ask them to predict the order of finish and say, here's the preseason favorite.
1: They and, also do like preseason all conference teams a lot of them, I, The, the
0: SEC does. I don't know if everybody does, but <clears> the SEC, like the SEC asks its media members for a preseason all conference team. Yeah. The Big Ten does a watch list.
1: I know, I had to vote in it this year.
0: 10 players to watch. It is
1: so. And you have to pick five from the East and five from the West.
0: It is so. It is like, talk about participation trophies, which by the way, I'm in favor of. Yeah. I also hate the participation trophy argument. Because, God forbid, you give someone recognition for trying. We're when they're six years old. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're just all about winning. bunch of winners. The Big Ten is the biggest participation trophy league, though. Like, we seriously, they don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. That's all it is.
1: Did you ever ask anyone about that? Like, when they stopped doing it and you started doing it? The I'm sure I, I, yeah. I got into an argument
0: it with It seems feelings.
1: like something you would get really worked up about. Yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, it's ridiculous. You're you're honestly afraid. Of, well, you know, uh, Ron Zook's feelings get really hurt when they pick Trestle. Ever. Like, just, it's ridiculous. So we do it. I email all the writers around the league, get as many people as I can, and it is the official preseason predictions. When anybody references, oh, so-and-so was named the preseason Big Ten favorite, the only reason anybody in the world can do that for the Big Ten is because of us. Seven years of this we've done now. Coming out Friday.
1: Has anyone come for the crown? Has anyone tried to use it? Yeah, I, I, uh,
0: I, I put that put that rebellion down. <laughs> the Knights of the Vale came rushing in to help me win that battle. I originally tried to make it exclusive and only had certain people that I invited. And then someone who I didn't invite uh, said he was maybe going to do one, so I invited him. I was, how's that for ruling?
1: I respect that move.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 No, you're in it this year. You're in it this year. Because <laughs> I originally had kept people out because I was trying to keep it within our company. Oh. And, w- and our company, Advanced Communications, we have websites that cover Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, and Rutgers in addition to us. Is there another one? I think that's it. So it's weird. It's like the whole company, like we covered practically the entire uh, – Big Ten East, so I excluded the other people like who cover Michigan. I excluded like the Detroit Free Press, and so the next year, one guy from the Detroit Free Press was like, "Uh, yo, like, are we going to be in it, or I have to, do I have to do my own?" And I was like, "You're in it. You're in it." <laughs> so anyway, that's coming out Friday, um, and so I asked for uh, we get predicted order finish on both sides. Your Big Ten championship game, the champ, and three uh, your top three for Big Ten preseason defensive and offensive player of the year, but. Guess what? Do you know? So this is year seven. The first six years, do you know how many times our poll has correctly predicted the Big Ten champ? That's a goose egg, baby. And it's fascinating, and here's the reason why. The reason why we've gone 0 for 6 so far in predicting the Big Ten champ is because the entire conference hinges on Ohio State. Ohio State is the sun, and there are 13 teams in orbit around Ohio State. That includes Michigan. It is not, I know people talk about, oh, you know, back in the old days when it was the Big 2 and the Little 8. It is not the Big 2 and the Little 12. It is the Big 1 and the Little 13. Now, that is true even though Urban Meyer has won one Big 10 title in five years. His first year here... They couldn't win it. They went undefeated, but there was a postseason ban, so they couldn't be in the Big Ten championship game. But the four times they could, he could win it. He's won it once. And so that's what the problem is. In 2013, Ohio State was picked to win it and didn't. And then in 2014, once, uh, Braxton got hurt, I, we did a revote and Ohio State was not predicted to win, but they did. Then they were predicted to win in 2015 and 2016, and they didn't. So the reason that our poll is always wrong is because they always pick Ohio State. And Ohio State, even though they are at a point where they are one of the three best programs in the nation, and really the true challenger to Alabama, they can't win their own conference. And Bill, guess who's going to be predicted to win the Big Ten this year? I don't have many votes in yet, but guess who's going to win? Maryland. I mean, it's unbelievable. There's no other choice. But I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if Ohio State doesn't win the Big Ten.
1: No. I mean, I wouldn't. I wonder. Ohio State's going to be picked to win. I am curious to see when we get all, or when you get all the, the, the votes in and tally them all up, how many votes Penn State gets. Because I don't even know. Like, who else are you going to pick? You can, like, and we always try to be a little weird with our predictions and, like, try to think outside the box when possible, which is hard to do with Ohio State because they just win all the time. Um, I don't I mean. I guess you can pick a team from the West if you want to, but it's going to be Ohio State or Penn State, and I'm very curious to see how close that gap is. But Ohio State is going to have the most, the most predictions as the Big Ten champ. Um, but who's going to be? Do you think there's any challenger
0: for who's going to be the big, the number one Big Ten preseason offensive player of the year?
1: No, no. I filled mine out, and I don't really, I don't really have any issue talking about mine because I'm just part of the whole thing, and I obviously put Saquon Barkley first. I don't know who else you'd put. I'm looking at I'm looking
0: at Phil Steele's magazine. Go buy Phil Steele's magazine. Phil Steele's 2017 college football preview. Phil Steele is part of our poll. He's based in Cleveland. Um, he does an excellent job. He does the best job of anybody in the country of previewing Big Ten, uh, not Big Ten, previewing college football on a national scale. Um, so we, along with the rest of America, use him as a reference point. He always has a prediction of like what the top 25 is going to look like. And then he's always really on about that because a lot of people buy his magazine and then look at who he says is going to be in the top 25 as they fill out their top 25. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Guilty. Um, But I don't know who it is. I mean, it's like Justin Jackson at Northwestern is, is a returning running back. There's not really, honestly, there is not a standout returning receiver as much as um, Ohio state has receiver problems. There is not, a huge stud receiver to my eye that I can think of in the Big Ten uh, right now that is back. Mike Gasecki at Penn State's the best tight end, but you're not going to vote him for the preseason offensive player of the year. No. And then the two, I mean, the two surest things at quarterback are JT Barrett and Trace McSorley from Penn State. And I don't think in good conscience you could vote. JT Barrett, preseason offensive player of the year, not the way he played in the second half of last season.
1: No, I, I thought about it. When, I, I thought it was really difficult to find a third player. Um, Barkley is obvious, and I just think by the nature of their offense, Trace McSorley is going to have huge numbers this year. And they have some pretty good receivers, even if they're not proven at the moment. I don't know who you put third. Like, you, I didn't put Barrett because, like you said, I just I couldn't go there because I'm not just going to assume he's going to be good. I think in the end he will be, but I'm not – I'm not going there just yet. And then outside of him, I don't know who he put. Like there's there's no good receivers. Like the best players after those two are offensive linemen. And I thought about putting an offensive lineman in there because I am pro um, bucking the tradition of always voting for skill position players and everything. And there are some good offensive linemen, but I didn't do that either.
0: You know who I think you could vote for but isn't gonna get many votes? Is Clayton Forson from Northwestern. It's quarterback. Um, yeah. Northwestern I think is certainly a contender in the West. He threw for, tw- he threw 22 touchdown passes a year ago. Um, nine interceptions. I mean, it's one of those things. It's like, I'm saying, oh, vote for Clayton Thorson. He had 22 touchdown passes. JT Baird, who had a terrible year, had 24. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's a lot of sliding standards when you're trying to look at these teams because so much more is expected, um, of Ohio State. But we've written about this a lot. It's, it's, it's almost never a great quarterback league. I mean, it really isn't. Um, and until Jim Harbaugh starts getting his guys in there, um, you know, this is this is not a league where you look for first-round NFL draft picks at quarterback on a consistent basis at all. And so it's not a quarterback-driven league. It often is a running back-driven league. Um, but outside of Barkley, you know who I think is a good player that you, you could potentially vote for? Because I was looking at his highlights recently because I was doing the Michigan State breakdown. J. Scott? And I was thinking, this guy's better than Mike Weber. He's L.J. Scott, yeah. yeah. I mean, L.J. Scott had a huge game. He had 236 yards against Ohio State last year. Yeah. Um, and if he had Ohio State's offensive line and other skill guys and, and an offense like that, I think he would put up potentially huge numbers.
1: Yeah, it's it's, just, it's really hard. I think in the end, Ohio State is probably going to have, you know, I don't think, did anyone vote for Curtis Samuel last year? You know what? You know? Who? Oh, yeah, I know who voted for Curtis Samuel last year, and he was right.
0: <laughs> yeah, I thought it was crazy when he did it. Tim May from the Dispatch. You know, hey, I think Curtis Samuel just watch, watch him for a big year. Boom, nailed it. Um but is someone going to put Curtis like Paris Campbell for well,
1: I think maybe Tim Will, I don't know. But uh I think it's yeah, if if people look at it as like, ah, oh, there's not really anyone popping who's replacing Curtis Samuel. And if we think that's Paris Campbell, I think you might get to see some Paris Campbell. votes. I didn't vote for him and I wouldn't I wouldn't have voted for anyone on Ohio State's offense because while there are dynamic players, we don't know who they are yet. So I voted for the more um, established guys, Barkley, McSorley, and I put Justin Jackson third. You did put Justin Jackson third? I yeah. did. I didn't know. I considered LJ Scott. He was a Big
0: Ten's leading rusher last year.
1: Yeah, and I considered uh, Giseki too, but I picked Justin Jackson. Justin Jackson last year, 5.1 yards per carry. Mike Weber, 6 yards per carry. So. I said this, we, we talked about the top 100 players. Um... Was a two podcasts ago, and I, I, I think I said I think Mike Weber is better than Justin Jackson, and I do believe that. But I don't know. I guess I guess you're supposed to be predicting how their season's going to go, and if that's the case, maybe I should have picked Weber, but I picked Jackson based on what happened last year.
0: And Northwestern's a contender in the West, um, mm-hmm. but it's it's hard. I don't know. Like we're trying to think about like oh what are you what are you going to ask about, and like what are the big uh, topics of conversation? I mean Ohio State is the number one. Topic of conversation here, but you know JT Barrett's not going to be there. Um, a lot of the more famous guy, you know, when you think of last year's team that was a playoff team, you think of that defense led by Malik Hooker and Marshawn Lattimore gone, Curtis Samuel gone, JT Barrett's not going to be there. So the three Ohio State representatives are Billy Price, who's an All-American, fifth-year senior, fourth-year starter, moving from guard to center. Uh, he will get 400 questions about Billy. Uh, could you really break down for us what's the difference between Guard and center. When you're making that move. You just get into, what's it, what's it really like for you? And he says, uh, one position you snap the ball and the other one you don't. Um, and then someone's going to write a just scintillating 800-word story about the move from guard to center. And uh, it's going to include a quote from Billy Price that says, um, I just do what's best for the team and uh, I work hard every day. I was so, going to write
1: that story, man. Yeah,
0: I know. I mean, you still can if you want to. Um, I wrote it like
1: four times last year yeah. So, yeah.
0: So Billy Price, Tyquan Lewis is going to be there, and Chris Worley is going to be there. Um, so people are going to want to talk about Kevin Wilson and being the new offensive coordinator, how things are going to change, and Billy Price is going to be the only guy who can talk about that because they're only bringing one offensive player, and he doesn't throw it or catch it. Um, so that's okay, um, but that's obviously going to be a big thing. Um, Michigan losing so many players is going to be a big thing. Penn State, with the idea of... Can they win the East again with McSorley, with Barkley, with that kind of offense? Um, Who's their good – is it uh, Juwan
1: Johnson and Deshaun Hamilton? Deshaun Hamilton was like – he looked like he was going to be like their future number one receiver. Was it three years ago when Christian Hackenberg was still there and then like kind of fell off a little bit. But I think maybe he might be a guy who actually like emerges as their number one guy.
0: So people will ask Michigan State about their offseason kicking three of their best players off the team after yeah. uh, sexual assault charges were filed. Um, Maryland should be a little bit better. But in the West, I mean, I honestly don't know. I mean, I guess it's just Paul Christ. You know what? This is really is a thing. So I did a poll before uh, Sunday night on who was watching Thrones, mm-hmm. and it was like 45% yes, 55% no. So Whoa. I think some people can get into the idea of like every single person in America watches Game of Thrones, which is a weird medieval sci fi Lord of the Rings kind of thing on a premium pay channel on cable. And of course, everyone in America watches it. So let's make everything in life a Game of Thrones reference. Did you listen? Do you listen? The Ringer did a Game of Thrones podcast. I can't listen to them. It is the most unlistenable thing <laughs> my ears them. have ever heard. I listen to podcasts. Many are good, many are bad. And I listen to the bad ones and I think, "Dear God, is that what we sound like? I hope not." It is so self-referential and it's about themselves. It's it does it's not they don't relate it to their listeners at all.
1: Right. We talk about ourselves and they a fair deal. Oh, yeah, that's they don't have um, the best voices to listen to, and I'm not saying that I do. Someone told me I sound like Seth Rogen, and I wasn't sure if that was a compliment or not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I can't listen to that.
0: It's so inside baseball. It's like, I just want to hear what you think of something, and they never get to it. Okay, so anyway, but Paul Crist, now my point was let's not make Game of Thrones references because not everybody gets them. Paul Crist is the king of the north. He's never going to be the king of the whole kingdom, but his little area up north there where it snows, he's the expert up there. I feel like Paul Crist might rule the Big Ten West for a decade but never really challenge Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan. Can I
1: make another Game of Thrones reference? (laughs) Then then that's it. Then we're done. This is it for
0: the whole podcast.
1: Paul Crist might be uh, the king in the north. P.J. Fleck is Ramsey Bolton, and he's coming for you wow
0: pj fleck and i think pj fleck would embrace ramsey bolton who spoiler alert spoiler alert no i'm not even gonna say it because people might be catching up yeah he's a jerk though um (laughs) young up-and-comer young up-and-comer row the boat um but so phil Steele's predictions he has wisconsin one northwestern two nebraska three minnesota four iowa five and then purdue and illinois um if Northwestern is your number two team in your division, I mean, you're just not that good. I think Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan would all be picked to win the West,
1: even with Michigan being down, if they were in the West, right? Absolutely. And, I, like, Indiana, we picked to finish, I don't know, like, fourth in the West? I guess they're picked, yeah, they picked to finish fourth in the East by Phil Steele. But Indiana would be a contender in the West, I think.
0: I will say, now, so I'm underestimating Wisconsin by the Phil Steele way of doing things. His overall preseason poll based on who he thinks is good, is Ohio State 3, Penn State 7, Wisconsin 11, Michigan 18. So, Northwestern 29. That's really high for Wisconsin. So that is high for Wisconsin. Listen, Wisconsin has that kid back. This is going to be interesting to follow at Wisconsin the next couple of years. I don't know who they're bringing to Big Ten Media Days.
1: I, don't I can know. tell you who they're bringing to Big Ten Media Bill Days. They'll look that up.
0: But this the Alex Hornibrook kid, who was the quarterback who played against Ohio State last year, um... As a true, as a freshman, right? Mm-hmm. Was he a true freshman or a redshirt freshman? I
1: think he was a true freshman. He
0: was a freshman, um, and he looked halfway scared out of his wits against Ohio State, and halfway like a playmaker. I thought, and he's one of those guys. And this is what happens. This is how teams get good. Um, you end up in a situation where a quarterback ends up playing as a true freshman, and by the time he's a senior. He's going to have, like, 40 career starts, and it's going to be like, Alex Hornibrook. Oh, my God. he, he That could be something for Wisconsin, if
1: they can have stuff around him. Um, yeah, they have him. They have Jazz PV is a res, jet sweep extraordinaire who were burning Ohio State in the first half last year. And Troy Fumagalli is our tight end, who I think he's, is really good. He's legit. And then they have
0: four of their five offensive linemen back, and we know Wisconsin always is going to have a good offensive line as long as they're experienced. And always a pretty good running back because of that offensive line, too. And um, they have a couple players. Jack Citchy was their leading tackler last year. and He got hurt. He's back at linebacker. Um, yeah, I mean, Ohio State doesn't play them this year, so we're not going to break them down as much until we get to a potential Big Ten championship game, which I believe probably will be what is the most likely prediction. That's what most of the people in our poll are going to predict. That's going to be the official prediction, I'm sure, is going to be Ohio State versus Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game, but it often doesn't happen. Um, So I I did a poll. I did a Twitter poll the other day. I don't just only do Game of Thrones polls on Twitter. Will Ohio State win the Big Ten? Remember, I said, remember they didn't win it last year. 658 votes. Bill, guess what the percentage was of yes, they will win the Big Ten based on who my Twitter audience is. Uh, 91. 89. Mm. So that's a confident group considering Urban Meyer in years, he's been allowed to win the Big Ten is one for four. So we know it's now officially open too that Penn State, that Ohio State could not win the Big Ten and make the playoff. I think a lot of people are going to predict Ohio State to be a playoff team, and they could get there without winning the Big Ten championship. So I don't know Do You think still
1: after what happened? I don't know. I don't I mean, know yes, anything about it's, that It's anymore. like I think it's yeah. I think we like to try to establish precedent, and the point of the playoff is that there isn't any. So. Yeah, I guess it's still possible, even though if they did it, in Ohio State got waxed.
0: Um, all right, should we do some questions?
1: Yeah, let's do some questions. I liked my things. How do I get to my likes? Oh yeah, the new tw- so you yeah, have the new one. You got to go to profile. Yeah, and then your likes are there.
0: What is up, Twitter? They're all just right, trying too hard. They really are. We have a food question there. We haven't done food this week. I got an empanada suggestion for Chicago that I may may mail make Bill go to from uh, John David Rice, he said, uh, since we talked about empanadas last week, Argentine restaurant El Nandu in Chicago on the Fullerton Parkway, if you're up for that.
1: Ooh, I'm in.
0: We don't have to eat Chicago-style pizza anymore because now there's Chicago-style pizza in Westerville.
1: Except you can't ever get one because they have one oven for 900 people.
0: We got one for dinner the other night. We ate dinner at 10 o'clock at night (laughs) because we were so intent on having it be Chicago-style That's what they do in
1: Spain. It's fine. Yeah.
0: Um, All right. Let's do... uh, uh, Maria Howard, by the way, wanted us to talk about Ruckert. Um, so, Maria, thanks for downloading the app and getting in on the podcast train. We talked about Ruckert just for you. Um, Evan Eimel, at Evan Eimel. Who's the one guy in Ohio that Ohio State isn't recruiting that you wish they would take? I'm going to drop that big one right on oh, you
1: since yeah. I don't know. That's really difficult. Um I'm trying to think off the top of my head maybe. I think um, a kid that I saw at the – Oh, uh, Cleveland region regional of the opening, uh, was that back in April who I thought was pretty good. And I just don't think he's going to end up being on Ohio state's radar. His name is Brian Asamoa. He's a linebacker from here in Columbus, uh, St. Francis de sales, who I think, and this is something we talked about a lot, like in the past might've been like a Luke fickle underrated. Let's take this guy and I'll turn him into something kind of player. Um, and I just don't know how much Ohio State's going to be in the business of taking guys like that now, when they can get five-star cornerbacks and five-star linebackers from Texas and Georgia all the time. So um, I think he's like he's like a tough kid. He's got like he was talking at everyone when he was going through those drills, and it was hilarious to watch. And he just had like I like the way he carried himself. Um, and I think he would be a good fit at Ohio State, but I, ultimately I don't think he ends up at Ohio State. Brian he have a Cincinnati offer? Probably. I don't know. I would assume so. I assume Luke Fickle has probably
0: been in his living room yeah. 50 times. Um, at Nikki Unders, outside of the receivers, what unit gives you the most concern heading into the season? I think it's a
1: great question. Because the receivers are obvious. Yeah. But I think it's a great, great question. I mean, there's two. And I, I always hesitate to call quarterback a unit because it's one guy. But I'm concerned about the quarterback. And I'm concerned about the offensive line. I don't think I'm concerned about anything on the defensive side. Are you?
0: Uh, I was going to say I'm not sure concerned is the word, but I'm curious about the secondary based based on the idea that you lost three first-round draft picks and that there's an assumption that Jordan Fuller will be as good as Malik Hooker and Denzel Ward will be as good as Marshawn Lattimore and Damon Arnett will be as good as Gary Conley, and I know Kerry Combs believes that to the depths of his heart, and he should – And I know that Ohio State stacks talent, and I know that a year ago, nobody thought that Marshawn Lattimore and Malik Hooker were going to be first-round draft picks, and look what they did. But I'm not just going to assume... I'm just going to say, I'm not going to assume it just because it happens every year. (laughs) Just because Ohio State turns its number one corner into a first-round draft pick every year. And I've seen people who break down film, study this stuff, say that Denzel Ward is the next dude. I mean... There are people absolutely on board with that. He's definitely shorter. Mike Williams is not – there are not a lot of Mike Williamses in the Big Ten, but Mike Williams from Clemson, who was a first-round pick, was a top-ten pick. Denzel Ward covered him pretty well, and Mike Williams was seven inches taller and made catches over him yeah. in the Fiesta Bowl. So it's happen. I don't know what big receivers are going to take advantage of that, but um, I am curious about the secondary because I am not making assumptions, even if maybe I should be. But I think it's a really good question. Oh, Let's see. Andrew Jacobs at Drowsome. D-R-O-O-W-S-O-M-E. What's the toughest game on the schedule this year? I said we're doing this breakdown. Oh, I saw that one, yeah. Okay. So what's the toughest schedule? What's the toughest game?
1: Well, by our percentages, and spoiler alert, we still have a couple left to go, but um, we had Penn State. Uh, with a was a forty seven percent chance to beat Ohio State. Yeah, um, in Columbus. In Columbus. That's I mean that's probably the most obvious one, and we talked a lot about, uh, about Penn State already. I don't think we could really delve back into that. Um, the more I thought about it as I was writing it, and it's not like it's it's nothing more than just like it's a weird game at a weird time. Like Iowa, I don't think is going to be an easy game. I think having to go play up there, it's not going to be a night game. I don't think, but having to go play up there between. Um, Penn State and Michigan State, I think you're going to be a little banged up. I think Iowa is going to, obviously going to really want to beat Ohio State, as every team does, as everyone says has no shot to do it. Um, I think that is at least a tricky game. I wouldn't go as far as say it's the toughest game on the schedule because that would be disingenuous, but um, I think that's a really interesting game, probably more interesting than people would give it credit for. But the obvious ones for toughest game are Penn State and Oklahoma. Yeah, I
0: think, and I think not Michigan. Like I, th- I, think I, feel, Michigan, yeah. I think Michigan which Michigan's going to get him at some point I mean we're not going to be here in 30 years talking about wow I can't believe Ohio have State. A question on that. Ohio State's 40-year winning streak um, I think Oklahoma is going to be tough because in those national home and homes home field advantage does not mean much and I think Oklahoma going to be super motivated. Um, and I think Lincoln Riley is going to play is, is I think Lincoln Riley, the minute Bob Stoops' resignation letter hit the desk for the president of Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley started playing it for Ohio State. Yeah, They have an easy game the week before. Um, I think the Indiana game for Ohio State in the opener, even though it's on a Thursday, could be a little weird. So I think Oklahoma at home is going to be tough. I think Penn State with Barkley and that downfield passing game is going to be tough. Um as, again, because we don't we don't know 100 percent about the Ohio State secondary, right? We know that the defensive line is going to get pressure on Trace McSorley, but Trace McSorley is a is a slithery little dude who I think that's the kind of guy and the kind of game where it could be like we find ourselves talking to Nick Bosa afterwards and Nick Bosa saying like I can't believe it, I had him, I thought I had three sacks on that guy and he got away and made a huge play, yeah, and that's the kind of that's how a team like Ohio State with All Americans on the defensive line loses a game like that because they do everything right. Trace McSorley slips away and turns a 10-yard sack into a 60-yard touchdown. So I think those two are tough. Um, And I just don't know about Michigan. I mean, again, which is one of those maybe there's a lot of history in the Ohio State-Michigan series of of, uh, a team that maybe shouldn't shouldn't win, finding a way to win in a game like that. And so I also think, you know, certainly a chance that, that Ohio State could be, having a great season, and Michigan's having an average season, and we see the kind of thing that happened in the past a couple times. Hasn't happened as much with Trestle and Urban, but but happened to Cooper a lot. Like You're not supposed to lose that game, and, and maybe Michigan does something to you. Like, like when they, in 2014, when, is it 14? Yeah. No, 13. 13. Tyrus Powell intercepts yeah. the pass on the goal line yeah. when they're
1: going for two to win the game. 14, 14 was the game JT got hurt, and they won. Right, right. It was, it was fairly, fairly comfortable. The year home. after that, they blew them out, and then last year's game, which was yeah. epic. So, anyway, um, it's a good question, though. All right, so there's a Michigan-related question? There is a Michigan-related question from our man Gene Illy.
0: What's up, Gene Illy? We're going to have Gene Illy as a podcast guest sometime. He's such a loyal
1: tweeter. Will Jim Harbaugh ever beat Urban Meyer. If so, what is the year? 17, 18, 19 or beyond? I think a more interesting way to ask that question is and maybe Jim Harbaugh will coach at Michigan for the rest of his life. I'm a, I'm I'm in the Jim Harbaugh once I get back to the NFL camp. Will Jim Harbaugh beat Urban Meyer before he goes back to the NFL? Or will it be it'll
0: be when the Colts beat the Cowboys yeah. and that's how Jim Harbaugh beats <laughs> right. Urban Meyer? Uh, here's another question. Could Jim Harbaugh leave Michigan having never beaten Ohio State? Well, yeah, that like that's but well, but I mean, I, I think I'm phrasing that wrong. You can phrase that question in two ways. We always do this at my house, like because the intonation can change the meaning of a question. Uh-huh. Like we always used to say, like, "You can't be late for preschool," which is either like, "You can't be late for preschool," like, "Oh my God, that'd be the worst thing ever," yeah. or like, "You can't be late." For preschool yeah. it's preschool. there's you don't even have to be there. you can't be late, right? right? So Jim Harbaugh, how would I phrase it? but it's like Jim could Jim Harbaugh could Jim Harbaugh leave Michigan without ever beating Ohio State? or but I meant it as could Jim Harbaugh leave Michigan without ever yeah. beating Ohio State like would he allow himself to do that? I think maybe if you're Michigan and you want to keep Jim Harbaugh for a long time, the best way to keep him is always <laughs> leave to Ohio saying. State. <laughs> Could he go to his grave saying, God, I had a great seven-year run at Michigan. We won a lot of games. I got the program back on the right track, and I was oh and freaking 7 against the Buckeyes. I think you've you got to leave with a 1. got to leave with a 1 in the win column, brother. You can't leave with a 0.
1: No, I agree, and I don't like. I think we're on the same page that we're just not feeling Michigan this year. Um, the game's up there. You never know. They're just they're not on the same same talent level. I, even for as well as Harbaugh is doing there, like the most talent he's had was because Brady Hoke recruited those guys, and he almost beat them last year, but they didn't. And it was a pretty bad Ohio State offense, and Ohio State still found a way to win that game. Um, I don't. I have a hard time seeing. I mean, maybe he gets one, but. I don't think it's this year. I don't think it's probably next year when it's back in Columbus. Maybe 2019. I have no idea. I mean, as long as Herbert Myers here, he's going to have a hell of a time trying to beat Ohio State, which is true for everybody. But um, I also think that that would be a huge motivating factor for him, that like he might coach there for 45 years because he's going to try to beat Ohio State.
0: The one thing is they lost a lot. And I said it at the time before last year's game. That was the year for Michigan to get Ohio State because – Ohio State was inexperienced. Michigan had a lot of experience. But the guys they lost now, they have flushed out the Hoke guys. This is now Harbaugh's team, which is what happens for every third-year coach. First year or two, you're still playing, obviously the first year, but still the second year, you're playing the guys that were left to you. This is now a Harbaugh team. These are now Harbaugh recruits that are going to be filling out these starting lineups, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe they're better. We don't know about them yet. They're young, man. But they're, I, I, yeah. they're really young. But if Jim Jim Harbaugh has been recruiting decently well, right? Yeah. Here we go. Now we're going to see it. And and again, we're talking about Michigan. The only context that matter. We're not talking about is Michigan going to win the Big Ten East. Is Michigan going to be a playoff team? We're talking about can Michigan beat Ohio State in the last game of the regular season? And Michigan might be a very you know Michigan might open the year two and four, but by week. By game 12, they could be the kind of team that could beat Ohio State. If this is going to be a very young team of Jim Harbaugh recruits, by week 12, they will be very different than they are in week one. And so they are young, but, you know, every time you preview anything, everybody gets caught up in returning starters. Returning starters, maybe that's not what they want because they want this crop of Harbaugh guys to finally get their shot.
1: I just went through Phil Steele's projected starting lineup for Michigan next year. There are 11 sophomores among the 22 projected starters, which is a lot. But it's also like if Urban Meyer had 11 sophomores, you wouldn't think, oh, they're going to have a down year. For, for as much as we thought last year, might have been something close to that. I don't know. I think Jim Harbaugh is going to love coach to win with sophomores. You know who freshman.
0: won with sophomores?
1: Yeah. When your
0: sophomores are Joey Bosa, Ezekiel Elliott, Darren, you know
1: – I mean, right. they won... Ohio State won a national championship with sophomores. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And, like, yeah. they're sophomores like Rashawn Gary, Chris Evans, the running back, who I think is really good, Tyrone Wheatley, Michael Onyewu. Like, they're not, they're not just, like, sophomores, three stars, who you're starting because you have no depth. Like, these are guys who were recruited with the idea that you're going to have to start when you're a sophomore.
0: Can I make another point that I've been thinking about, and I don't know how to write this exactly. Sure. So... That team, to say they won it with sophomores is correct, but incomplete. Mm-hmm. They won that with an unbelievable group, one of the great recruiting classes, one of the great one of the great classes in college football history because they won the national championship with sophomores and then they were the dominant part of, a, of uh, an NFL draft class that had 10 guys go in the first three rounds and set a record. But they won that year because they had an unbelievable group of talented young guys combined with a great group of seniors who were Trestle seniors. And that combination is what got them where they needed to go. That they had Joey Bosa, but they also had Michael Bennett. That they had Ezekiel Elliott, but they also had uh, Evan Spencer. Um, that mattered. And I feel like it's possible that the one thing that has been missing in 2015 and 2016 and maybe 2017 will be – maybe 2017 will be a little bit different because there are a few more of them – is that kind of senior group that stuck around because they didn't all rush to the NFL to combine with a young – a group of young, talented guys that we know guys like Ezekiel Elliott and Joey Bosa and Darren Lee and Eli Apple are not going to stick around to be seniors, but you need some of those guys. And I think when there's such turnover, when – Marshawn Lattimore and Malik Hooker can be first-year starters and then, then go in the first round of the NFL draft. That costs you something on the back end. So the one thing with this team this year, and you see it in the guys who are going to Chicago, you look at JT Barrett, who's not going to Chicago, but you look at Tyquan Lewis, you look at Billy Price, you look at Chris Worley. These are the type of seniors that remind me of those 2014 yeah. Trestle seniors. And then you combine them with young talent and so, if we see some of these young guys, if we see Austin Mack and Ben Victor as sophomores go crazy, and then they're complemented by guys like Billy Price and JT Barrett, that might be more of the mix that they had in 2014 that I feel like they were missing a little bit in 2015
1: and 16. Yeah, that's a good point that I didn't think of. It. Damon Webb's also another senior who's played a lot and been around a while. Um, yeah, I, I buy that point totally. Because la- last year's senior class, there were like six or seven seniors on the roster, and one was Pat Elfline, who obviously mattered. One was Dontre Wilson, who still couldn't get on the field that much. And then it was like Craig Feta and Joe Berger, who were like important special teams players, but aren't the kind of guys really that you're quite talking about. Right. And Corey Smith, too.
0: But And, and, and like in 2015... Uh, those sophomores that then became juniors were so dominated the team. There were guys like Taylor Decker and some other seniors, but it felt like there was a quarterback controversy. And if they like, didn't exactly have their heads on straight the whole season, I don't know if they had enough seniors who could have snapped some guys out of it.
1: You know? Yeah, they have. I think their senior class—this is off the top of my head—I think they're like twelve, which is double what they had last year. And twelve still not that high of a number, but in the current. The way that Ohio State is currently structured, 12, I think is going to be a lot moving forward for just the way the guys leave early.
0: So should I do I write this before Big Ten media days, or do I ask Urban about it?
1: I think you ask Urban about it.
0: Because here's – I feel like this is the kind of thing, and this happens with Urban sometimes. If – I feel like I could ask Urban this question. Urban, you had a lot of seniors on the 2014 team that really complemented the young sophomore talent. It felt like the last couple of years you haven't had such strong senior classes. Do seniors matter anymore? You lose a lot of guys early to the NFL, but how much does it matter to have a solid group of seniors who can compliment young talent when you're trying to win a title? You're going to get a good answer to that. And he's going to say, that's a great point. And he's, I think that's the kind of thing that he's either thought about it and has done has had a study commissioned about the effect of <laughs> senior leadership on championship teams, or he's going to say, I haven't thought about that. I'm going to have a study commissioned on that. Because I do think, I mean, it kind of goes into the whole, like, coach speak a little bit about senior leadership. But I think coaches talk about that kind of thing because there is something to it. So um, I think it's an interesting question. And we also have a question about McFlurries.
1: I think um, another another Phil Steele plug, Phil Steele's experience chart is awesome. Ohio State was dead last in the country last year in overall experience and up to 38th this year. Number one, Florida Atlantic.
0: Ooh, Link, is that Lane Link- Kiffin? Lane Link- Kiffin inherited the most... Experienced Experience team, team in, the in the country. They're probably more mature than he is. <laughs> is Lane Kiffin? So we were looking ahead. So so it's 2017. The 2018 schedule has the text has the TCU game in Dallas, the neutral site game. Yeah. And then 2019, there's no big team on the schedule, but the first two games are Florida Atlantic with Lane Kiffin and Cincinnati with Luke Fickle. Yeah. The Lane and Luke show coming to Columbus. Will both of them still be as head coaches, one of them, or neither of them by the time we play those games?
1: Uh, I think one. I think that Luke Fickle will still be at Cincinnati. And Lane Kiffin will be gone because he's
0: the head coach of the Cowboys or because he's the head ke- coach of the Division Three school because he got fired for being a
1: knucklehead? <laughs> Probably the latter. Could go either way. I mean, coach of the Cowboys is on the table, is it not? Like I love he- Lane Kiffin. I think he's hilarious and like he's interesting. He is a mess.
0: He is a mess. <laughs> m- <laughs> okay, Gene Nilly, I swear to God, should just be the producer of this podcast. I got two more Gene Nilly ones. See, he sent that one just to you. I think. Oh, did he? Gene Nilly, if you were a college football head coach, what type of offense and defense would you run? Uh, wishbone. For real? Would, no. Really?
1: I don't know. That's a good question. No, I don't
0: I've know. been begging. All, I've been begging for years for a Big Ten team to hire the Navy coach. Yeah. And run the triple option in the Big Ten. I know that's not the wishbone, but some kind of run-based option offense where you never throw it, and you're a pain in the neck to play every week?
1: Yeah. If doesn't, I were the coach... Georgia
0: Southern do that?
1: Yeah. And, like, Georgia Southern has well, been an FBS team for, like, a year, and they've been balling. But they're off the Navy tree. Yeah. No. And I Georgia so. Tech did it, too. Yeah.
0: Like, they're all... That's from the Navy tree, from the Paul Johnson Navy tree. I would... If I were a coach of anything... If I was not the coach of a top 40 program, I would run the triple option.
1: Yeah, I would do that too. I, I uh, I'm looking at it now because we're in my home office. NCAA 14. When I start a dynasty at NCAA 14, I don't care what program I am. I run the triple option because it's fun to run. I guarantee you,
0: I would not run a pro style offense. If I was if I was Urban Meyer, I would run Urban Meyer's offense. I would run a dual threat quarterback who can run with the power run game. I mean, it is I think it's where the, that's where yeah. That's
1: saying. I mean, yeah. I would I would agree with that. Defense, I don't know. What is
0: it, 3-4, 4-3? I I mean, a lot of this stuff, I mean, the thing I think you need to have, and Ohio State's done that. Michigan State has it now. It's like you need that. You're in basically a nickel all the time time. because you have a, whether you call it a walkout linebacker or a star or a hybrid safety spot, you have a hybrid safety linebacker spot where that guy behaves as a defensive back but hits like a linebacker. You can't just play three big linebackers. And I think they do that more. I don't know all the defenses in the Big Ten West, but – that's, I think some of those teams get in trouble sometimes because it's like, who covers Curtis Samuel? If you, if you are a defense, you have to be able to answer the question, who covers Curtis Samuel? And if your answer is either like, well, it's a backup guy that we have to go to a special look or whatever, then you've got to change your base defense. Yeah. Cause Curtis Samuel is going to be on the field every snap and you've got to be able to deal with him every snap. And I'm not sure that they're, I don't know that every Big 10 team can do that. All right, we'll end with this. G. Nilly. G. I want to know who you really are. It's Nathan. Nathan? But what's, what's G. Nilly mean? I don't know. He'll tweet us. What is the proper ratio of candy bar to ice cream in a flurry? What's your favorite dessert fast food? What's a flurry?
1: Like a McFlurry. Like oh, you know, I don't, I don't know if I've ever had one. What? Have you had a blizzard? I've definitely had a blizzard, yeah. So
0: everyone just, just... I don't understand. I would like to get the person who invented the blizzard on the phone because I, I guess they invent the blizzard but they can't copyright the technology or whatever it is because then everybody has their own version of a blizzard
1: how could you possibly copyright putting candy in ice cream? <laughs> it's like trying to copyright a hamburger uh, but they,
0: it's in the mixer it's the grinder because you can't just you don't just pound the candy with a with a hammer and drop it in you got to mix it in properly
1: i mean i guess so i don't know. Uh, Proper ratio. Of, I mean, all yeah, the more candy, the better. I don't know. I'm not signing. <laughs> you can get ice cream whenever you want. I'm here for the candy.
0: But some, because sometimes at the bottom of them, and this is when you get a poor mix, when the mixer doesn't do a job. There's like candy bites at the top, and then the bottom half is all just vanilla ice cream.
1: Yeah. And that's, frankly, that's BS. No, I yeah, I agree with And I had a Blizzard one time. I got a Reese's cup. Reese's or Reese's?
0: That was a whole, th- I think BuzzFeed <laughs> did a post on that. I say Reese's. I'm from there, and it's Reese's. No, I know. But I know I a lot of people know. say Reese's. I say Reese's.
1: I had chocolate peanut butter cups in a blizzard one time, and I swear there might have been like three in the entire thing. It was a medium-sized blizzard, and there were no peanut butter cups in there.
0: Really? But here's the thing: if it's so easy, have you ever bought a cake, like a half gallon of vanilla ice cream, and like three candy bars, and come home and smashed a candy bar with a hammer? And no, because it's got to be
1: soft serve. How do you buy soft? How do you buy soft serve ice cream? You buy hard ice cream
0: and let it sit Not out milk. for an hour. <laughs>
1: Uh, best fast food
0: dessert. Um, I actually think the Burger King pie is pretty good because sometimes yeah, ice cream is an easy answer, but I think you can yeah. over ice cream sometimes.
1: I like the McDonald's apple pie. I don't know if I've had, uh, Chick-fil-A uh, milkshake pretty good.
0: You know what is the best fast food dessert? And I, I've always wanted to work for a donut company and spin it this way that in the morning you serve donuts and in the evening you serve dessert mini cakes Okay. Uh, and it's a donut. But not enough people think. Let's go get a donut for dessert. Because oh, I've done
1: that before. Yeah.
0: But does it? People. It needs to be and it needs to be fresh. Because sometimes if you go at eight o'clock at night for a donut, it's a stale donut. Often. Oh, you've of got course. to sell it as late night dessert. Come get a donut. And I don't know. I feel like there's an opportunity lost there because a lot of those donut places, some of them stay open, but they still build themselves. I would like flip the switch. Like at six o'clock, you become mini cake dessert paradise or whatever. You're not just Tim Hortons anymore.
1: Yeah, so. I've had bad luck going to, like, if you have, like, a little, like, sweet tooth craving and go to Tim Hortons at, like, 830 and try to get a donut. It's not very good. So that would be a good plan.
0: And then and you could dress them up even a little bit more. You could mm-hmm. do a little spin on it. But you got the stuff there. you got a cake mix and icing. Make the magic happen. Yeah. So what, when I get laid off from Cleveland.com, I'm going to pitch myself as a donut shop PR
1: marketing genius you're envisioning like tasty cakes in the evening is that what you're talking about stuff like that
0: I mean like do whatever. yeah, yeah. I mean like you can dress it up a little bit fill in the holes with some cream or whatever yeah. whatever you gotta do that would be my fast because I sometimes just don't want ice cream and then what are you gonna do right there's right. not a ton of options if you don't want ice cream for fast food dessert is a blizzard fast food dessert I think if you can drive through and get it.
1: Yeah, okay. I saw that question, and that was the first thing that popped in my head. Like, There's a Blizzard account. Is that not? I mean, the fa- drive through, right? That's the definition. Yeah, like Dairy Queen sells like chicken fingers and cheeseburgers and stuff, so it's a fast food place. Yeah.
0: But you don't have to get out of your car.
1: Right. Because who wants to stand up no one. and walk? Yeah. Ridiculous. Stand in line. Yeah. Get out of here.
0: All right. We're going to be at Big Ten Media Days starting Monday. We're going to finish our schedule breakdown on Friday. Um we have some plans for some good podcasts from Chicago. Make sure you look on Friday at cleveland.com for a Big Ten poll reveal. We'll have predicted standings, Big Ten champ, offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year. Again, the most real predictions you're going to get because the Big Ten is scared of itself. At cleveland.com, we're not afraid to hurt your feelings. I feel like that could be a T-shirt too. That's It's actually true. Um, so thanks for listening. You can find us on iTunes. List it, Landis. We're, God, I love it when you do the list.
1: iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, TuneIn, ask your Amazon Echo to play Buckeye Talk. Make sure you over-enunciate, right? I, I'm, Say it I'm, how you want to... are a writer, I don't, my uh, vocabulary is very limited.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Say it, so because you said... On our last podcast, you said Alexa, play Buckeye Talk, and then you were playing it and you said your Alexa heard that and turned on, it's, right?
1: And like it stopped, it paused because Alexa thought she was being summoned and it was not.
0: So if you have an Alexa, turn it up and get ready for this right now, because Bill's gonna talk to her. Alexa, play Buckeye Talk. And that's how the magic happens. Um, so thanks to you guys for listening. <laughs> it just turned <laughs> off we have the door shut in the podcast studio, but Bill's Alexa just tried to talk to him through the door. Is she? Is it playing out there? Do you think now? It's we not, have to go see. It's not. All right. That is I, I, the robot revolution is here. I'm sure you guys saw the thing where like a male robot. Not a, not a gender male, but a MAIL robot, yeah. I think in Washington DC at some business office drowned itself in a in a <laughs> pond in the middle of the office. So they're not perfect yet, but the robot revolution is here. And like two years from now, there's going to be uh, cyborgs doing this podcast instead of us and we'll be dead. All right. Thanks for listening. Uh, preseason poll on Friday. Big Ten Media Days starting from Chicago on Monday. We'll have stories, we'll have videos, we'll have all kinds of stuff from there. We'll do some special stuff for next week's podcast from there. So again, thanks to you guys. For Bill Landis, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.